You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories in just a moment. But first, breaking news. There has been an arrest in a series of indecent acts near a private school in Vancouver. Parents of students at York House no doubt relieved tonight. Sarah McDonald is live outside that school. Sarah, any update on the charges and what we know about the suspect? Well, Chris, no charges have been laid at this point, so we are not identifying the suspect in this case at this point. But here's what we know about this ongoing situation that is playing out across two cities here in Metro Vancouver tonight. Vancouver police telling us about an hour ago they have now identified a suspect and made an arrest in relation to a series of indecent acts committed here in the Shaughnessy neighborhood in Westside, Vancouver, targeting students at the private school behind me, an all-girls school for students from kindergarten kindergarten to grade 12 called York House. Vancouver police tell us the suspect in this case was taken into custody early Tuesday morning. He has since been released with conditions. Now, we are not identifying that suspect at this point because no charges have been laid in this case, though it is believed the suspect in this case is our RCMP member. And here is why. Now, we know a Richmond RCMP member has now been identified as well today as a suspect in an ongoing sexual misconduct investigation by Vancouver police in relation to allegations surrounding off-duty activities. We are told that Mountie has been suspended with pay as the force undertakes an internal conduct investigation of its own, though the RCMP tell us the fact that that Mountie has been suspended with pay will be constantly reassessed during that investigation. Now, we know Vancouver police have been searching for a suspect related to the incidents here in York House for quite some time. Now, on several occasions, students here have reported a man pulling up to them in a black SUV and exposing himself before driving off. So we do know tonight a suspect has been identified in this case. So no doubt some relief for parents, students and staff here, but certainly a lot of questions uh, still circulating tonight as we wait to learn uh, the identity of that suspect in this case that could be that Richmond RCMP member that has now been suspended with pay uh, due to allegations uh, here in Vancouver. Chris. All right, and we await uh, any information on charges upcoming in the next little while. Thanks very much, Sarah. Now, all eyes were on the federal transport minister this morning, Mark Garneau, announcing Canada will be grounding all of its Boeing 737 MAX 8 aircraft, banning them from Canadian airspace. It's a move that follows mounting concerns stemming from two deadly crashes involving the model in recent months. In Canada, Air Canada, WestJet and Sunwing all fly the 737 MAX 8 model with 24, 13 and 4 planes respectively. That's leaving tens of thousands of travelers in the lurch tonight just before the busy spring break season. Our Aaron MacArthur is live at YVR with more on Canada's decision, the disruption and what travelers need to know. Aaron. Sophie, patience is the word of the day for travelers, possibly the word for the week. Airlines scrambling to get people to where they need to go and passengers say any answers from the airlines slow to come. YVR now a tow yard for the Max 8. Air Canada shuffling a few into the hangar, waiting for word when they can spin the engines up again. Wednesday morning, Canada issued a complete flight stop. In Vancouver, flights were cancelled or delayed as Air Canada and WestJet scrambled different equipment to cover routes normally flown by the Max 8. Some passengers facing long lines, waiting for answers. I got out of the cab and um, 
I got an email saying your flight was cancelled with no reason. Cancelled, and I've got a connecting flight to UK. We got our travel agent to rebook us for a flight from Vancouver to Calgary, Calgary to Las Vegas to Los Angeles. We ran across the airport, and we literally, they wouldn't let us on because we were too late. We couldn't get our bags on. With Canada's flight ban in place, the U.S. was the only country in the world still flying the MAX 8s and 9s. President Trump had little choice but to issue his own order just before lunchtime. We're going to be issuing an emergency order of prohibition to ground all flights of the 737. The world reacting after two crashes of brand new MAX 8 planes with eerily similar flight data. The transportation minister defending the government's delay getting passengers off these jets. We uh, got, a, uh, got the, this data this morning, analyzed it and made a decision. Terrible timing for this logistics nightmare. Spring break travel will hit high gear as the weekend gets closer. Many of the sun destinations serviced by the MAX 8. Basically it's a priority basis. It's literally hour by hour. So if you're leaving on Sunday or Monday, um, don't be panicking. You'll be going. The few planes still in the air Wednesday afternoon, only being ferried back to base. Who knows when these planes will get in the air again or when people will trust that they're safe. And people wondering uh, how they're going to get where they're supposed to be going during spring break. Aaron, what advice are travel agents giving travelers? The best advice right now, Sophie, is not to call unless your situation is urgent. You're flying out in the next few hours. The call volumes at Air Canada and WestJet are intense as people are trying to get answers. So if you can wait a few days, wait a few days. The equipment moving around the country trying to get people on those flights is going to take some time. Give it some time. If you absolutely have to call, Air Canada's number is one 247 2262 That's customer service there. WestJet is 888-937-8538. But, I mean, judging by this morning was really busy around the airport. This afternoon, things have calmed down considerably as some of those uh, new aircraft got on to some of these routes. Wait and see. Sophie. Hopefully it'll all get straightened out. All right. Thanks for that, Aaron. The Good Samaritan injured in an attack on the UBC campus is speaking exclusively to Global BC about the circumstances that led up to her traumatic experience. John Hua tells us what she was doing when she encountered a couple fighting and how quickly things turned on her. He was intent on causing me severe injury or killing me. All she said was three words. Is everything okay? He just automatically kind of right away started to attack me. We've agreed to call her Diana to protect her identity. The victim of a brutal assault in the basement of UBC Center of Advanced Wood Processing on March 7th says she turned a corner and came across a frightening scene. Right there in front of me was a man that had pinned a woman to the wall and was threatening her violently. With the focus on Diana, the original victim was able to get away, her interruption only fueling his rage. First going after her with a weapon, which after a bloody struggle, she knocked away, then slamming her back and head into a concrete wall. And it didn't end there. He proceeded to start strangling me. Uh, at that point, I started to fight back as hard as I possibly could. Her alleged attacker seen in this police sketch was a whole foot taller. 
Yet Diana, who has self-defense training, was finally able to land what might have been a life-saving blow. And managed to injure him in some way, and he backed off one step and, and then decided to, to run. Left slipping in and out of consciousness and badly wounded, Diana used first aid to tend to her own wounds and called 911. We feel that she was incredibly brave and strong and, and, and frankly resilient. Andrew Parr of UBC says while the advice in a situation like this is to walk away and call 911, he understands that may not have been a choice. If we want some takeaways from instances like this, is what can we learn and how can we, how, how can we do better to make it even a safer community? Despite a long recovery, both physically and emotionally, Diana's thoughts even now are with the woman she saved. I, I hope that you're safe. If you can come forward, please do. Um, so that something like this doesn't happen again. John Hua, Global News. Much more tonight on the U.S. college admissions scandal. Local businessman and philanthropist David Sadu, one of several wealthy parents accused of lying and paying bribes to get their children into elite U.S. schools. Tonight, Grace Key has more on the fallout, including the possible repercussions Sadu could face both legally and personally. I worked hard. I'm an honest person. And that was David Sidhu in 2008 talking about his break with Lumiere Restaurant. And while he maintains his innocence in the biggest college admissions scandal in the U.S., if found guilty, the possible fallout could be significant. The field at UBC's Thunderbird Stadium is named after the prominent businessman and philanthropist. The university saying they won't be making any changes to the name, but will decide if any actions may be taken after the verdict. Adding money he helped raise for the the university was through the 13th Man Foundation, not affiliated with the school. I call David Sidhu of Vancouver. In 2016, he received the Order of BC. The Premier responded to questions if it should be revoked. These are allegations at this point, and I don't feel any responsibility to do anything other than let due process run its course at this point. Companies are already distancing themselves from Sidhu. He was listed as an executive chair of Liberty Defense. That page is no longer up. Vancouver's St. George's Private School, where the two Sidhu children attended, released a statement saying records from 2012 show no school or provincial exams were written at the school by the student in question. But some say a more thorough investigation needs to be done. The school needs to come out with a clear message that what he's being accused of doing at St. George's didn't happen. And if it did, whoever is responsible should be immediately fired. Sudhu is accused of paying someone to take the provincial graduation exam for his older son, paying $100,000 each for the SATs for both his children and emailing information to make a fraudulent ID. In a phone call regarding a test, the man at the center of this case says they don't have 2100 for the GMT, but I would do my best to get it for you. Sudhu replies, I know. One Vancouver lawyer doesn't believe Sudhu will do any time behind bars in the U.S. So he's somebody who's used the service, essentially, okay? In my view, that places them at a, at a lower level of general culpability. Carefully crafted defense strategy, I think, should lead to no jail time. Sidhu has posted a $1 million bond. He'll make an initial appearance on Friday in Boston, where his lawyer says he'll plead not guilty. Grace Key, Global News. And the scope of the scandal, dubbed Operation Varsity Blues by investigators, is growing. 
Unsealed court documents indicate William Singer, the self-acknowledged mastermind of the con, collected as much as $25 million from as many as 800 families. Among those charged, actress Felicity Huffman, who has now posted a quarter-million-dollar bond, and actress Lori Loughlin, turning herself into the FBI today before facing a federal judge who released her on $1 million bail. So far, no students have been charged. Investigators believe some may not have known of the scam. The universities involved also say they're investigating and reviewing their admissions processes. U.S. federal agents say more arrests are possible. And one last note on this. We touched on it on last night's news hour. Right now, production is underway on Lori Loughlin's show Garage Sale Mystery, which is based in Vancouver. The judge has permitted Lachlan to travel here to finish out her contract through November, but she must surrender her U.S. passport in December. Well, the province announcing today two health authorities will now directly manage care of home support clients. Nadia Stewart has more on who the changes will affect and why the B.C. Care Providers Association is expressing deep disappointment about the change. A pair of announcements about seniors' care in B.C. is drawing both praise and criticism. First, the good news. More money aimed at boosting direct care hours for seniors in residential care homes in Vancouver Coastal Health and beyond. We are going to meet the standard of an average of 3.36 in every health authority in the third year of this because we believe meeting that standard is important. But it's the other big news from the Ministry of Health that has the BC Care Providers Association up in arms. We've had no consultation on this. We were not advised that this was going to happen. Not advised. Government is taking over ownership of privately run home care operations and rolling them into the health authorities. A move Daniel Fontaine says simply doesn't make sense. I know government is, is putting out this, this uh, notion that this is going to help streamline the delivery of care and etc., um, I'm not buying that. I think that this is ideologically driven. An update last month to a 2012 investigation by BC's ombudsperson found government still had not acted on a recommendation to conduct a full review of the effectiveness and cost of the home care program. But Dix says Wednesday's decision stems from an assessment by the health authority. This was the best way to go about it. That was their recommendation and that recommendation was accepted. But the Liberals question whether the minister's decision is evidence-based. The speculation is that this will cost the system an additional 20 or 30 or 40 percent more to hire new management to manage that staff. That's not about direct service. That's not about caring for seniors. That's not about honoring their choices. Makes no sense. Nadia Stork, Global News. Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria with more on this. Keith, if senior care moves from the private sector into government, could we see something similar with child care? I think that's a logical question, Sophie. Philosophically, the NDP does prefer to have a, a number of services within the public sphere, not the private sphere, not just in healthcare. Uh, but childcare is a big priority for this government. The number of childcare spaces is expected to expand phenomenally over the next few years. Logical question to put to the Premier today. An interesting answer. Short term, no, that's not the plan. But long term, might be a different story. When it comes to delivering childcare, we are innovating uh, as a new government, bringing in affordable, accessible, quality childcare, and we're working with the private sector to deliver those services. And I don't see that changing in the short term, but in the long term, we want to make sure we've got more spaces for kids so that families can be full participants in the, in the workforce and make the economy run. 
So perhaps the Premier signaling over time, over the long term, that uh, childcare could become a bigger part of government operations. Whether it does or not, keep an eye on another aspect of childcare, whether or not there's big union drives to unionize childcare workers as they expand in numbers. Wouldn't be surprised if QP and BC or BCG make a play for their membership. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Right now, though, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation has handed out its 21st annual Teddy Waste Awards. The ceremony spotlights 2018's worst examples of government waste. And as Jordan Armstrong tells us, BC won big, or maybe lost, in two categories. Unfortunately, British Columbia did really, really well at the Teddy Waste Awards this year. BC taking top spots in Canada in both the municipal category and the provincial category. And for that one, you can probably guess why. Most famously, they purchased a wood splitter. A firewood log wood splitter. The expense scandal at the B.C. Legislature, with allegations that Clerk Craig James and Sergeant-at-Arms Gary Lenz billed taxpayers for clothing, lavish transportation, magazine subscriptions, luggage, electronics, and more. These are tens of thousands of dollars when you add them all up, and every single nickel of it came from your wallets. BC getting the Golden Pig Award from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, a swine called Teddy, named for a federal bureaucrat fired in the 90s for billing, among other things, a $700 lunch for two people. Basically, he didn't get out of bed without billing taxpayers for it. At the local level, TransLink was a runner-up for its experiment of putting pigeons on birth control. But the CTF says the pig prize goes to the Vancouver Park Board for spending 50 grand so residents could email trees and paying artists to send replies on the tree's behalf. Uh, I don't think I'd be sending a tree a letter. The federal winner was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for his eight-day family trip to India that soaked up 1.6 million of taxpayers' money, including $17,000 to have BC chef Vikram Vij flown to India to cook Indian food. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, RCMP call him the breakout burglar, and tonight he's behind bars. Investigators say North Vancouver resident Shane Davidson would enter stores during business hours and then hide out until after closing, often in the ceiling. Once everyone had left, he would cut his way out, search for cash, clothing and other valuables before breaking out. In one early morning incident, RCMP say he encountered a store employee physically assaulting her before he took off. Davidson has now been convicted on three counts of burglary, one count of assault and one count of theft under $5,000. He remains in custody. Vancouver's 2019 homeless count started last night and will continue throughout the day. City staff, volunteers and social services agencies spreading out in an attempt to register every person on the street. Last year's count found more than 2,100 people in Vancouver were without a home. That's the highest level since the count began in 2002. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart says there could be more housing announcements on the horizon. But I did have a very productive meeting this morning with uh, Minister Duclos, uh, the federal minister in charge of housing and CMHC. Uh, it was a wide-ranging uh, conversation that he actually initiated, uh, and uh, we, we specifically discussed a number of housing projects that were looked forward uh, to hopefully making some announcements in the near future specifically on this issue. 
City staff will present the final count to council in May. Kennedy says the total will, or Stewart rather, says the total will impact the city's homeless policies and projects. A popular bakery needs your help tracking down a thief. Fratelli Bakery in New Westminster sharing this surveillance video with Global BC, and here's why. After two people leave the counter, another man steps forward and points at something, and when the employee steps away, he reaches for the tip jar and puts it under his coat. He leaves a short time later without buying anything. Here's a closer look at the suspect. Other businesses in the area say the thief has struck before. A major change to BC's building code today, designed to help the forest industry and ease the housing crisis. Premier John Horgan at Okanagan Falls Timber Company's Structure Lamb to announce that, the BC, that BC will become the first jurisdiction in Canada to allow wood frame buildings up to 12 stories high. Innovative new techniques now allow several pieces of wood to be glued together under pressure, creating super strong wood that can hold more weight than before. It's hoped the building code change will increase local demand for lumber and allow for faster construction. The transformation will mean, uh, for example, uh, towers at hospitals, existing hospitals who are, are adding a, a new tower for uh, healthcare delivery will be right in the wheelhouse of companies like Structure Lum and other uh, mass timber producers. National standards allowing 12-story wood buildings will be introduced next year, but Horgan says B.C. believes the research into their safety has already been done and there's no need to wait that long. Cheers erupt from onlookers in Nigeria as rescuers pull a dust-covered child from the rubble of a collapsed school in Lagos. As many as 100 children were inside at the time, about 40 have been rescued, but at least 10 people have died. Building collapses are common in Nigeria, where new construction often goes up without any inspection. A government official says the school had been set up illegally and buildings in the area were undergoing structural testing. Well, things are going from bad to worse for Donald Trump's former campaign chairman. A federal judge has sentenced Paul Manafort to an additional three and a half years in prison. Manafort was charged with conspiracy related to foreign lobbying work and witness tampering in Washington. Last week, he was given a four-year sentence for financial crimes in Virginia. On top of that, immediately after today's sentencing, Manafort was indicted in New York on 16 more state charges related to a mortgage fraud scheme. The chaos and turmoil continues in the UK over leaving the European Union. One day after the British Parliament defeated Prime Minister Theresa May's Brexit deal for a second time. So the eyes have it. The eyes have it. Unlock. Today, Parliament voted to reject leaving the European Union without a deal, a decision that lessens but doesn't eliminate the chance of a potentially catastrophic no-deal Brexit. But an official with the EU is reported as saying Parliament voting against Brexit without an agreement isn't enough, and British lawmakers must approve the deal as well. The UK Parliament will now vote tomorrow on whether to delay the March 29th departure from the EU. The SNC-Lavalin scandal exploded in Ottawa again today with opposition parties accusing the Liberal government of a cover-up. Cover-up! No, it's a cover-up. I'm voting against Mr. Cooper. I'm voting against opposition MPs outraged that the Liberals uh, used their majority to shut down today's emergency meeting of the Justice Committee. 
The NDP and conservatives wanted to bring back former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould for more testimony. But the Liberals abruptly voted to adjourn today's meeting. And under the rules, that takes precedence over everything else. The opposition calls the move despicable. Powerful storms tore through North Texas early this morning, causing widespread damage, including tearing the roof off of an Amazon fulfillment center. Oh, my goodness! Sheets of metal and other debris ended up wrapped around cars in the parking lot. Elsewhere, winds of up to 170 kilometers an hour lifted a mobile home off its foundation and dropped it on the front of a car parked right beside it. Some of the heaviest gusts at this municipal airport, leaving planes flipped and scattered across the tarmac. Several homes were damaged and tens of thousands of people left without power. Thankfully, it appears there were no deaths or serious injuries. Also spotted in Texas, a pickup truck at times traveling nearly 90 kilometers an hour with a horse standing in the back, secured only by a rope. Its back hooves only half on the truck bed. Early reports said the driver was pulled over by police but was let go because technically he wasn't breaking the law. But the latest reports now say the local district attorney is investigating possible animal cruelty charges. I lived there for a little while. It's not that surprising. <laughs> In Health Matters tonight, Surrey students and RCMP joined forces today to deliver an eye-catching anti-bullying message. More than 1,400 students and cops showed off their best Bollywood moves in the annual anti-bullying flash mob outside Tamanawis Elementary. This is the fifth year for the event, which brings together kids from seven different schools in a way that normally wouldn't happen. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Most people are familiar with our southern resident and transient orcas, but did you know there's another unique member of the species science knows very little about? They're the type D killer whale. They live in the southern hemisphere and they spend a lot of time at great depth. Now a BC researcher is on a voyage of discovery to see what these elusive creatures can teach us about the oceans. There are 10 different types of killer whales in the world. The ones off our coast are the longest studied and best understood of them all. At the other end of the scale, the type D killer whale, a marine mammal mystery. One of the reasons we know almost nothing about type D killer whales is because they live in one of the least hospitable places on the planet, the Southern Ocean. They were discovered in 1955 when a pod of 17 stranded on a beach in New Zealand. And it wasn't for another 50 years or so that uh, these animals uh, were seen. BC killer whale ecologist Jared Towers traveled to the notoriously stormy waters near Antarctica several times and just once got a glimpse of the elusive whales. But to see something that was that rare is akin to seeing a Sasquatch. Then, earlier this year, he was invited on a scientific expedition off the tip of South America with the sole purpose of finding type D killer whales and sampling their DNA. Their chances of success, slim. But a few days in... Quarter to six in the morning, we just looked out the window and, and they were right in front of us. They are about 100 metres off the bow. It was a pod of about 30 type D whales, distinguishable because of their blunt foreheads and tiny white eye patches, 
much smaller than other types of killer whales. It was like panic stations. You know, we we started scrambling. We we ran down and got our cameras and our crossbows. With the crossbows, they managed to get pencil eraser-sized yes, yes, yes. tissue samples from three of the whales. We got the first ever sample of type D killer whale. And when they lowered the underwater microphone fitted with cameras... They all immediately turned around and came over and inspected that device. The team's good luck in securing DNA samples will help them understand the evolution of all killer whales and unlock at least some of Type D's secrets. I think it goes to show um, how vast the ocean is and, and how little we know about it. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Scottish Coast Guard crews on a routine mission spot something on a snowy mountain. Their unexpected rescue coming up right after the forecast. All right, Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at the forecast. When we talked at five, Christy, there was a mysterious haze over parts of Vancouver. Did we figure it out? We did, and I'm going to get into that in a second. I wanted to show you that haze, and it is spreading right across uh, the Strait of Georgia as well. So I'll show you why that's happening, or potentially why it's happening in a second. First, though, uh, a bomb cyclone taking over much of the U.S. You talked about uh, Texas with the thunderstorms there and tornadoes, and it's all because of that line of thunderstorms there. Part of this major system flooding in through these northern, northern regions and blizzard-like conditions, especially in the Colorado area, where they're seeing Category 2 strength hurricane, uh, Category 2 hurricane strength winds up to 150 kilometers an hour, uh, two feet of snow. It's incredible what they're dealing with there, and that's just going to continue to roll through the country. Now, uh, wondering why a bomb cyclone takes place? Well, it's basically this cold air that's colliding with the very warm air, and it creates this intensification that happens very rapidly within a 24-hour period. And so this process is actually called bomb cyclogenesis, thus your bomb cyclone. Uh, So incredible uh, weather, all gamuts of it from snow to rain to thunderstorms there. Now, back at home, the haze that we're seeing, there actually is a small forest fire that's up the Strait of Georgia, and we're seeing just enough uh, northwest winds down the Strait of Georgia that's bringing some of that smoke down to our area. And you can see the haze accumulating right near the mountains. So this one uh, was ignited just yesterday. They don't know why just yet, but I guess it's an indication we're getting into that season. Big change for us tomorrow from the sunshine today. We'll see a few showers, not a lot of moisture, though bulk of that moisture really will fall along the north and central coast. So there's that rainfall there. Further inland, yes, a few flurries, but we're not talking about much and mainly dry here. Flurries just pushing in a little bit later. So for us, light rain on and off, a high of 8 degrees, lots of sunshine on Friday by the afternoon. It's St. Patrick's Day that we're watching for. That's when skies clear, temperatures uh, soar, we could see record-breaking conditions, and the first day of spring happening on Wednesday. And I'll leave you with a gorgeous shot from Chilliwack today. That guy Don C. sent us that. That guy Don C. That guy Don C. Oh, I love that guy Don C. Yeah, that that guy. guy. Don C. Crazy <laughs> Thanks, guy. Christy. All right, crews from Scotland's Maritime and Coast Guard Agency were on a routine training mission over the Cairngorms Mountains when they spotted something. The small white dot was actually a dog stranded in the frigid wasteland. Obviously, they couldn't just leave it there, so a crew member winched down, scooped up the cold and frightened pooch, and both were brought back to safety. 
Turns out it was a dog named Ben, and he had been missing for two days in a dangerous storm. He has since recovered, and Ben is back with his family. You're on the left of me. He's so I'm on the, the clown. Right. He's the Joker, and you're stuck in the middle. It's, We're shocked at how those lyrics like, resonate for Sophie right all now. All come together, <laughs> right for this moment. That was a perfect song for us. I love you guys. Thank you. We love you too. Despite being clowns and jokers. Uh, Quinn Hughes is here. And the uh, moment his ankle feels better, he will start playing for the Vancouver Canucks. Had an MRI today. We're not sure what it will show. We'll probably find out tomorrow. The general feeling is, though, the injury really isn't all that serious. What is serious is the anticipation surrounding Quinn Hughes. That's the one thing about the Vancouver Canucks as a franchise. They have never had a star defense room from 1970 to now. No stars. So Quinn Hughes is the one they hope will finally be that guy. Quinn Hughes doesn't mind being part of the hype, but a recent comparison to Bobby Orr, that was a bit too much. Yeah, Bobby Orr, I'm not really sure about that one. <laughs> what the Canucks have in Hughes is someone who fits the most recent evolution of the game, where smaller defensemen with speed and skill can thrive and survive. I think the NHL is a production-based league. If you can play, you're going to play. It doesn't really matter the size you are. If you're going to make an impact positively, you're going to get your opportunities to make a, make a difference. Uh, just because, again, like the game has changed where you can defend uh, with your speed and skating. Skill, overcoming a lack of size, were the same questions people had about Elias Pettersson, who will likely be the NHL's Rookie of the Year when they hand out the awards in June. It's a fact that is not lost on Quinn Hughes. It just emphasizes that... Um, you know, you don't need to be the strongest guy um, to have success in the league. So he's, he's obviously proven that, and, um, you know, we'll see what I can do. What Hughes can do remains to be seen. Head coach Travis Green does not want him to think that he needs to walk everyone else's talk right away. I'm not going to put sky-high expectations on this guy. Uh, is he going to be a power play guy in the NHL? Yes, he is. But I don't need him to have expectations where he has to come in and run the power play and be this guy that's going to just turn it around all of a sudden overnight. Um, until you go in, go in there and figure it out for yourself, it's pretty hard. Um, so I think for me, I just got to kind of get my feet wet here and um, you know, figure it out for myself what I can do here, what I can't do. And I'm just going to try to play my game. I don't need to be a hero or anything like that. Is he going to be a really good power play guy? I believe he is. Uh, his skating ability, his heads-up play, is, you know, he's, I wouldn't say he has a bullet of a shot, but I think he has a shot that can get through to the net. And those are all things that we want to see in due time. And I'm not going to panic if he's not all of a sudden, uh, you know, one of the top power play guys in the league. It, it takes some time. And, uh, again, my job is to make sure that we just put the brakes on expectations and keep he's got enough pressure on him as it is point out that footage is not from this morning that was mm -hmm. from last year we're waiting for him to get on the ice uh the canucks are playing against the rangers tonight at home chris Tanev's going to be in the lineup talked about him yesterday hopefully he doesn't get hurt tonight guillaume brisbois will be out there as well jacob markstrom will start in goal canucks are still mathematically in the playoff race and they will be for a while longer but they would really need a very long win streak to fulfill any postseason dreams otherwise 
it's back to the draft lottery for the Vancouver Canucks, which will be held on Tuesday, April the 9th, before the playoffs are supposed to start. That's a lot different than in previous years when the draft lottery was held during the playoffs near the end of April. And of course, the draft itself will be at Rogers Arena on June 21st and June 22nd. Spent his teenage years in BC. Duncan Keith and the Blackhawks in Toronto. Speaking of Duncan Keith, he shoots, he scores. That's over the line. one nothing for the Blackhawks against Toronto. Good first period for the Hawks. Dominic Cahoon from Patrick Kane. That made it 3 nothing. And then all the Leafs forget that Brandon Saad plays in the NHL. He's right there. That was easy. Leafs rallied, but they ran out of time. 5-4 Chicago wins. Sadio Mane, Liverpool against Bayern Munich, Champions League. The first game between these two, 0-0. Whoever wins this one goes to the quarterfinals. And Virgil van Dijk right there from the corner. 2-1 in the 69th, then Mane scores. And it's Liverpool, four English teams in the quarterfinals. Alfonso Davies' team is out. Uh, former BC Lion defensive lineman Cameron Wake is leaving Miami after spending 10 years with the Dolphins. Has it been 10 years already? He has signed a free agent deal with Tennessee today, three years, $23 million. He is 37, but he's a five-time pro bowler, and he should still have some gas left in the tank. Or, if you're a Tesla owner, he should still have some charge left in his battery. <laughs> Global and the Vancouver International Auto Show are giving you the chance to win a Chevrolet Bolt EV. Today's code word is hybrid. Enter now. Here's your snow report for tonight. Nothing new for Whistler, Blackcomb and Grouse, but Cypress picked up five centimeters of fresh snow. Temperatures are going to be warming up in the coming days. It'll feel like spring skiing. Revelstoke, no new snow. Fernie, 24 centimeters though. Mounting Park 21 and Whitewater 7. Big White picked up a light dusting, 2 centimeters of new snow. Silver Star and Sun Peaks, nothing new. Kicking Horse, a 1 centimeter. Mount Washington, 0. And Powder King, 3. Well, quite a sight on Vancouver Island today. A massive log slowly making its way along the highway to Port Alberni. As Paul Johnson reports, the giant red cedar will be transformed to preserve First Nations heritage. Here's an underrated beauty shot in B.C. Port Alberni in the end of the Alberni Inlet. Where Wednesday afternoon, there was the unmistakable buzz of something big about to happen. Today, the Port Authority is really excited to help facilitate the transport of a, a, a tremendously long, uh, ancient uh, red cedar log. A 70-foot-long 40,000-pound western red cedar discovered by accident in woods near a logging road on Vancouver Island. It was discovered when we were deer hunting like a few years back, me and my son. 70 feet, that's, that's a lot of cedar. Tim Paul is the carver who will create a special kind of totem pole from the tree, a work of First Nations art that will tell the story of how their languages have declined and how it's time to revitalize and preserve them. You know, we need to re-educate ourselves as a people, as a family. You know, we need to save what we have left. And this is long overdue. An ancient tree that symbolizes a long arc of history. When this cedar was a seedling 800 years ago, Genghis Khan ruled the steppes of Asia. The Crusades were happening in the Middle East. 
and Tim Paul's ancestors flourished in one of the richest habitats in all of the Americas. Art is a great, a great thing in amongst our people, but the greatest art of all we understand from our people is the art of giving. So we want to give back to, uh, to, to uh, the people in our family and certainly our neighbors. Tim Paul will carve that pole on the Port Alberni waterfront for the next several months. Once he's finished, it'll be taken south and erected at Uvic. And because it's cedar, it'll be telling its story for a long, long time. Paul Johnson, Global News. Cannot wait to see that thing when it's finished. Yeah. Very cool. And my friend Ron Obvious, who used to work at Little Mountain Sound, says Western Red Cedar, best wood for a recording studio. Oh, is that right? Yeah, if you want, to, if you want good sound... If you're building your home and you want good sound, Western Red Cedar. <laughs> Western Red Cedar is yeah. the way to go. Hmm, yeah. Now we know. Okay. Last word on the weather, KG? Sure. So tomorrow we will see more cloud and light rain on and off. Not much, really. The bulk of it is going to fall across Vancouver Island. Uh, Friday's looking nice. Sunshine by the afternoon. A little bit more cloud on Saturday. So we're sort of back and forth for the next couple of days. But let's hone in on St. Patrick's Day right through our transition day to spring, which is on Wednesday. We could see record-breaking conditions and sunshine. <laughs> Are you laughing? You let my little I'm digging the Lucky Charms guy. A little leprechaun. Yeah. This is very cute. I didn't realize this is already St. Patrick's. I know. It snuck up on me, too. Coming up fast. Okay, yeah, thanks, Christmas. Thanks for watching, folks. Have a good night.